guys. Um, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor and a privilege to be at Republica for the third year, representing the Utopia Film Festival. Um, as uh, I was so kindly introduced, my name is Eden. I do a lot of things. Um, I do science fiction, I run a music blog, I work for a high-tech company, um, but mostly I spend a lot of time online. And I know that everybody that goes to Republica probably spends a lot of time online, but I'm pretty confident when I say that I'm on the next level. There are few moments in my life where I am not connected, and those are when I sleep. As you can see, I have a smartwatch, I get my notifications all the time, I'm on all the platforms, and I get lonely. I get lonely when I'm communicating with people, I get lonely when I'm not communicating with people, and I think that the discourse on is the internet making us more or less alone is broken. And we'll get to why and my um, solution. The title is The Solution for Loneliness, and we are part of the Cancel the Apocalypse track. So we're not here to talk about just the bad things, but also on how we might resolve them. Fair warning before we get started, this is going to get depressing. So I've prepared a reward for you. One is this picture of puppies, which will make you happy. Okay. Woo, puppies! Um, if you last the entire talk, there is another picture of a puppy at the end. Okay, so I will reward you for staying with me by giving you another picture of a puppy. Now that we've spoken about puppies, let's talk about humans. This is the first, this is the first rule of the internet. When you go to Reddit to make a post, this is what you'll see in many subreddits. Remember the human. Remember that on the other side of your screen, on the, on the other side of that comment that you are getting ready to troll or yell at or uh, post a gif on, there is a person just like you, with feelings just like you. And here's the thing about humans. We suck at not knowing things. When we don't know something, it drives us crazy. We can't just leave it unknown. Through our entire history, we have populated the unknown parts of our world with anything. This is a fragment from a Portuguese map from the 17th century, um, depicting what is called terra incognita, right? the unknown land. And those terra incognitas were never empty. They had these kinds of monsters. Specifically, this is a reference um, to the story of Jonah and the whale. Right? You can see the people inside the fish praying to God. Um, but the idea is, is that those blank areas, we just can't afford to leave alone. Same thing with the internet. Whenever we find the underbelly of the internet, and as Dana Boyd said in the opening keynote, now we have multiple underbellies, we have to populate them. But the problem is that we populate them with monsters instead of populating them with humans, which is all that is waiting on the other side. There are no monsters. There are only people. And some of them are just as alone as we are. And that's the problem with our discourse today. We forget that at the end of the day, there is no such thing as direct communication. When I see an object, I don't get to see it for what it is. Everything that I see is interpreted by my mind. That comment you posted, I don't know what you felt. All I have are your words and my interpretation of those words. All I have is the image that you posted. I don't know what you really felt during that barbecue where you took that amazing selfie with your family. Maybe that guy next to you is that uncle that you never speak to because he has differing political views than you. Or maybe the guy in the background that's not in the picture is the black sheep of the family that no one wants to mention. 
But I don't know all of that. All I have is your caption. And that's where loneliness comes in. The great author Aldous Huxley, who was a science fiction author but also a philosopher, said this in the best way possible. The martyrs go hand in hand into the arena, the Roman arena where the martyrs were supposedly thrown to the lions. Never happened, by the way. They are crucified alone. Even when they stand next to each other and experience the exact same thing, they are alone. And that is the problem of the internet. No matter how much I try to get my experiences across to you, I will meet that doorway of perception. And that's why the text is called Doors of Perception. I will meet the way that you interpret the world. And no matter how emphatic I try to make you to see my side, we will still be blocked by the images in which we used to connect. Now, popular media has done a very bad job of describing this loneliness. Everybody's, I, I assume, heard or seen of Black Mirror. And you can basically boil it down to, what if the computer turns you off? Ooh, so freaky. Look at those people in the restaurant. They're all, they have their faces in their smartphone. They're all so lonely. And that's such a basic and shallow perception of what it means to be alone. Because when I'm using my phone at a restaurant, I could be talking to a million people. And I do. I manage a whole blog via my phone with a network of friends who exchange music and ideas and images and books with me. But when I'm on that phone, I'm disconnected from the person who sits in front of me, be it my partner or my friends or my environment. So I would like to pose to you a more ambiguous version of the internet, one that doesn't make us more or less alone, one that is not dichotomic and only has more or less of something, but a platform which is ambiguous, which makes us sometimes more alone and sometimes less alone. How does that work? How do we do both things at the same time? We'll get to that at the end. So in order to um, facilitate and, and support my claim, I'd like to show you a few examples of things that I have come across on the internet that have made me feel more and less alone at the same time. And I, I do warn you, nothing's going to be graphic, but it's going to get a bit weird. Because the internet is weird, and that's the way we like it. So, when we look at digital loneliness, I should have seen, shown this slide earlier, but that's okay. This is from Warren Ellis' Transmetropolitan, uh, very good comics which you should all read. And this image really captures um, how I see digital loneliness. You see the, the man with the screens and the um, massive amount of data, and he is aloof, right? He is separate. Um, so, the first thing I want to talk to you about is a Facebook community called People That Um Sometimes and Are Also Oh. And this was started by a group of literary students in uh, America to complain about the people in their class. Because the people in their class, when talking about poetry and stuff that makes you feel important, were always saying um and oh and etc. It quickly became a group for art, for sharing what's called macros. That's the cool man's version of memes. It's not a meme, it's a macro, it's art. And it focuses on digital loneliness, abandonment, nihilism, postmodernism, absurdism, and more. Here's one that I made back when I was contributing to um, this uh, uh, group. What does it mean? I have no idea. I made this when, I, when it was 5 a.m. and I was after a night shift and I was really, really, really sad and depressed. And I made it and I posted it to this group. 
Here's an example of another macro that was made by Julia Megan, who is perhaps the queen of this group. Hi, Julia, if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, thank you, I love you. Um, and I saw this like a second after I made that image, and I instantly fell in love with the message. Why? I have no idea. It's a fish in glasses. I don't know what's going on. But something about this communication connected me to another person in an intermediary way. I didn't analyze this. I didn't break it down and understand it. I just felt that connection. Just like I just felt the loneliness in my own art, if you want to call it that. And the best example is this. This is code poetry. This code is valid. It doesn't do anything. But the syntax is correct. There are no mistakes here. And while I'm talking, read the poem. Um, and it, it cle very cleverly uses code and syntax highlighting and, and poetry to get its message across. So there's one level, you can just read the words, but then if you're a coder and you know what some of these symbols mean, they imply actions, and you can get even more complicated. I'm sorry if you couldn't read the whole thing, you'll see it on the YouTube. You can get, do something like this, this is by the same guy. So now structure comes into play. It's not just the words and the forms and the functions, but also the structure of what he's writing. So other than this being seriously cool, and channeling a whole tradition of American poetry like E.E. E. Cummings and others who messed with sentence structure, I read this and I, I started crying. And I didn't know why. Like, okay, the poem is touching, but it's not that touching. But something about that effort of someone on the other side of the ocean writing poetry just touched me. And it didn't touch me in a way where I felt immediately positive. It was a sad kind of touch, a sad kind of empathy. Because no matter how beautifully this person writes, I will never know who they are. I will never shake their hand. I will never sit with them for a coffee and dig deeper into what this means. It made me both more and less alone. Okay, enough with some pretentious art that people make on the internet. We have plenty of that. Let's talk about Bitcoin and cryptography and blockchain. That's buzzwords, right? What else can I say? Um, deregulation, decentralization, whatever. I can keep throwing buzzwords at you. But instead, I'm going to show you this website by a thing called Viaticum. Viaticum in Latin is the things you give to the dead so that they can carry into the afterlife. A food and weaponry and coin that they can use to bargain with the gods after they die. But these guys also made it into a crypto coin. This isn't real, by the way. The crypto coin doesn't actually exist. But this is like an art project, if you, if you want to call it that. And what they offer is a crypto coin for your spiritual currency. So you do all these good things, and then you want to trust God or angels to make sure that you get into heaven? That's old tech, right? We need to decentralize. What if we had a coin that works on blockchain, that distributes your spiritual currency, and makes sure that you get into the afterlife? Now, these guys took the time. This isn't just some art project that someone put in together in five seconds. They have aspects, which are features, right? So it's a spiritual wallet a robust solution. Grave goods, grave being serious, right? And uh, votive crypto deposits. And of course, faith compatibility. Doesn't matter if you're Muslim or Christian or pagan or Buddhist or whatever, Shinto, whatever other iteration you'd like, this works for you. This is cross-platform, cross-platform support. So when I read this, my initial reaction, I read this at work at a tech company I work for, and I st just started laughing. I laughed for a good five minutes, and I scrolled down the side, but then I went back to the first view, and I saw that button that said, send tributes. And it broke me. 
it broke me that someone, even though this is a joke and this is an art project, someone has already looked at religion as something that we can codify on the blockchain. And you know what? I've seen stranger things become a reality. I've seen weirder things go from internet joke to a reality. Donald Trump, for example, but other things as well. That was my one um, current joke. I hope you liked it. Um, and I started thinking about this viaticum thing, and doesn't this actually talk about something that we all are afraid of and we are all anxious uh, for? And what does the internet do with that anxiety? The very real anxiety of death makes it into a joke. And it does it again and again and again. If you're someone who goes to websites, unfortunately, I'm sorry for you, you go to 4chan or you go to Reddit and all those terrible places, you will see everything made a joke of. And when I say everything, picture that one thing that you say won't become a joke. Imagine something way worse, that's already a joke. Death and rape and suffering. The internet takes all those things and uses it to entertain. And this for me was really... Uh, a gestalt moment, right? From this one thing, I saw the whole picture and I was kind of slapped in the face with the full force of the internet. It has a mighty punch. So, when I was writing this talk, I was like, okay, this is rock bottom. I can give this example and I can move on with my life. But then, this website intervened called BuzzFeed. And what BuzzFeed did, BuzzFeed are terrible, by the way, um, if you want to talk about ad, ads and clickbait and stuff like that, they are like the, they're like the um, Microsoft of destroying the internet. Um, well, Microsoft is the Microsoft of destroying the internet, but BuzzFeed are like the henchmen. Um, and they did something really cool, which I won't spoil, you're just going to have to watch it. Do I have sound, by the way? Stage manager? Yeah? We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. So, uh, for instance, they could have me say things like, uh, I don't know, uh, Killmonger was right, or uh, Ben Carson is in the sunken place, or how about this, simply, President Trump is a total and complete dipshit. Now. You see, I would never say these things, at least not in a public address, but someone else would. Someone like Jordan Peele. This is a dangerous time. Moving forward, we need to be more vigilant with what we trust from the internet. That's a time when we need to rely on trusted news sources. It may sound basic, but how we move forward in the age of information is going to be the difference between whether we survive or whether we become some kind of fucked up dystopia. Thank you. And stay woke, bitches. Please, yes. So what, what's going on here for the uninitiated? There's a thing online now called deep fakes, and I'm not telling you anything that you couldn't Google by yourself, but I'll do it anyway. Deep fakes is a package. It takes a bunch of tools that have been available for the past few years and it puts them together in a nice little package that people like you and I can use. When I mean you and I, I mean people with basic code literacy. I'm not a developer, but I, I work with code and I could probably figure out how to get deepfakes to work. I'd need a very strong machine and about 72 hours. 72 hours. And I could create a fake video of pretty much anyone on this planet saying whatever I want. 
It can be politicians. It can be, um, well, depends on your perception. It can be even more nefarious, like inserting celebrity faces into pornography to um, meet any fantasy of anyone on this planet. I could use it to create a video of Barack Obama saying, we have launched a nuclear assault on North Korea, prepare to die, right? Um, or Donald Trump, or whatever. Um, so, and again, we can talk about the ramifications and the tech and how we should regulate this, but what I want to talk to you about is that holy shit moment. When I opened this on my browser and Donald Trump said, stay woke, bitches, sorry, Barack Obama said, stay woke, bitches. Donald Trump doesn't say anything that coherent. Um, that was another one. I got it in there. Um, I just had this moment of, whoa. Remember that diagram of the eye with the spaceship and the mind blocking it? That's all nonsense now. Delete it. It doesn't matter anymore. Because the problem is no longer that our minds are blocking the perceptions of the real world. The problem is, is that the real world doesn't exist anymore. And... French philosophers mostly have been telling us this for the past 60 years, but none of us listened. Well, a few of us listened, me and a bunch of other people who did my philosophy BA with me, but most of us didn't listen. They were like, oh, those French people, yeah, they'll say whatever. But all these guys, Baudrillard and Foucault and Lyotard and all these other name droppings I can make, uh, name drops I can make now, they've already said this. The hyper-real, the fake reality becomes more real than the actual. And this is the paradox of loneliness. When I am alone... I crave for the other. I crave for you. I crave for the world to touch me. I want to feel like I'm not alone. I am not Descartes sitting in my room and imagining that the world doesn't exist. I am not a butterfly dreaming that I am a person. I am an actual human being and I want to know that other human beings exist. But what happens when the thing I am reaching out for becomes mercurial, becomes shifting, becomes dynamic and mobile, becomes ever-changing. What do I cry out for? And that's the tough question that shows like Black Mirror are unwilling to ask. I'll give you a hint why. It scares the fuck out of them. It's so scary. These are thoughts that keep people awake. And if you write seven or eight seasons about that, they're going to keep you awake. So we shy away from those questions. And we turn to discussions of, ooh, is my phone making me more lonely? Instead of asking deep philosophical questions on the nature of reality and our psychological existence within it. Now, I challenged myself not to talk about science fiction this year, but I just can't do it. So, the title of the talk is The Abandonment of Our Next Frontiers, and not The Next Frontier. So, we talked about the digital frontier, the cutting edge of our internet existence, but we're gearing up for actual space exploration. The devil, a.k.a. Elon Musk, is planning to launch a person into space. Um, the smaller devils, a.k.a. James Cameron and Larry Schmidt, are planning to mine asteroids. These things are happening. And you know what? And this is something they won't tell you. Someone will need to change the towels. Someone will need to make the sheets. Someone will need to oil the machines. Someone will need to be the labor force for this space exploration. And you know what else they don't tell you about those guys? They will be alone. The tourists who pay a million and a half dollars per ticket, they won't be alone. They'll have screens and in-flight movies and flight attendants, and everybody will make sure that they don't have to think about their meaningful, meaningless existence for one moment. But the worker on the space station doing an outside of vehicle walk to fix a panel, he will be alone. As alone as any human person has ever been. Faced with 
and this is where I get dramatic, as if I wasn't dramatic enough, faced with the void that is space. Now imagine that kind of alone. You sit in your apartment in the middle of a city of millions of people and you feel alone. Imagine what happens when you're out there literally millions of miles away from anybody else. So what am I proposing? We said that we are going to cancel the apocalypse, not mellow and sink into the apocalypse. So my advice to you is my advice to myself. As I said, I ask myself these questions every day and they bother me inherently and, and immediately and constantly. My advice, you do you. Don't worry about these things. Try to ask these questions less. We are constantly bombarded by this need to question ourselves and our environment. What is artificial intelligence? What are the implications of the internet? Here I am standing here telling you to ask these questions. But sometimes the answer is just not to think about it and find that thing in your life that you are passionate about. I spoke about all of this with a good friend of mine who's a researcher um, on AI. And he works in the market um, for autonomous vehicles at a big company you all know of that I won't mention, it's Uber. Um, and I asked him, what do I do with this? What, how do I live my life? You work in AI, like you've seen this stuff five years before I did. How do you sleep at night? Um, and we started talking about, and this is the last thing I'm going to tell you before we end, we started talking about something called Rocco's Basilisk. Rocco's Basilisk is a theorem that if there's an all-powerful AI in the future that has amassed this massive power, what prevents that AI from going back in time and killing everyone who opposes AI? And how do we know that Rocco's Basilisk isn't already operating? And by this point, I was typing furiously like a minute, what if the AI is in my house right now? What if it's coming to kill me? What do I do? And this friend of mine who is totally not a basilisk, totally not a robot sent from the future to kill me, he said this. I think it's best to embrace our AI overlords and just focus on art and hope for the best. <laughs> is this a good solution? I don't know. Is this what I'm doing in my daily life? You betcha. I try to focus on my passions. I try to understand which technologies are already inevitable and embrace them, so at least I'm literate in them when they come and change my life, and I try to hope for the best. And even though this was a joke, that part about hope, that's the message. And not hope in the sense of corporations imagining a brighter future for their workers as they sip their coffees in their offices, but hope for a real future in which the internet as a tool that both drives us apart and brings us together is accessed by more people. And we have these conversations about who we are when we are alone, who we are when we are together. Why does one happen when the other does? Or why does one escape us when we look for it so uh, deeply and hardly? So now you've been a good audience. You've survived this talk. Here's your puppy. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.